Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding national liberal arts college. In this 20th edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year, we'll get a preview from theater professor Todd Quick of the upcoming production of the play Gruesome Playground Injuries. That will be performed February 25 through February 28th. Communications instructor Chris Goebel will preview what promises to be a great talk on comics on February 23. It's titled Truth, Justice, and the American Way. The pandemic has slowed down a lot of groups and organizations, but one Monmouth group that has forged ahead throughout the uncertainty is the college's multi-talented theater department. During a school year in which many college theater programs have either gone dark or scaled back significantly, the Monmouth Theater Department has produced live, in-person plays while taking appropriate public health safety precautions. Their next production will be the two-character play by Rajev Joseph, Gruesome Playground Injuries. It will be staged February 25 through February 28 at the college's downtown Fusion Theater, which is at 230 South Main Street. It will also be available to view online. For ticket information, point your browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash theater and that's theater spelled R-E. Todd Quick says he's been interested in producing gruesome playground injuries for several years. I came across this play actually several years ago when I was in graduate school at Purdue University. It was uh, a relatively new work at the time. I believe the first performance uh, was just back in 2009. And I just came across it when I was looking for material for auditions and for classwork for myself, and was just really struck by the quality of the writing, uh, how beautifully drawn each of these two characters were. And it sort of stuck with me since then. And I've been, you know, keeping it on my radar, waiting for. And so in thinking about shows that would be safe to produce during a pandemic, I knew that I needed something small. Uh, Gruesome Playground Injuries is only a two character play. Uh, To balance that out though, with wanting to provide more opportunities uh, with this production, we're actually double casting the two characters. Uh, So we have one cast that's performing on Thursday and Saturday night, and then you can come see it again for a very different experience with the Friday, Sunday cast. So the fact that it's a small show where there isn't, you know, uh, we're not trying to cram, you know, 40 people onto the stage. There's not a lot of, you know, uh, requirement for the actors to be very close to each other frequently throughout the play. So it allows us to rehearse and perform, uh, taking into consideration all of the various safety measures that we want to be mindful of. Gruesome Playground Injuries is about the relationship between the characters Doug and Kayleen, how it evolved, changes, and progresses over a 30-year period. 
it's just the the level of focus that a playwright can can give to those characters as he's crafting them or as she's crafting them uh you know when you have a dozen characters in a 90 minute play you can't bring a character to life in quite the same level of detail but with this show and and it's a pretty quick show i think it'll be a little under 90 minutes still um the playwright is able to create real people and that was something i told the actors on the first day i said when we read this play i don't feel like we're reading a play i feel like we're meeting two fully realized human beings and that's what i want the audience to see i want them to walk away not even realizing that anyone was acting that we were just having this like intimate look at the lives and relationships of these two people Although Gruesome Playground Injuries takes place over a three-decade period, it's not told in a linear way, which Todd says enriches the story. The the timeline of the play is one of the most interesting structural elements. So the events of the play take place spread out over a 30-year period. Uh, So you get to see these characters and their relationship develop from the time that they're eight years old up until the time that they're 38 years old. So that creates all sorts of interesting challenges. Well, first of all, none of our actors are even close to 38. Uh, I'm just shy of that age myself. So I've been trying to lend them some wisdom about the various parts of your body that hurt in your late 30s that you didn't realize would start hurting. Um, So it's been fascinating to see them remember how they moved and how they interacted when they were 13 and and when they were eight years old and also try to imagine what their bodies and their voices and their personalities are going to be like at 23 and, and 28 and in their 30s. And the other thing that makes it fun is the play doesn't proceed in a linear fashion. So you're not just going in a straight shot from eight to 38. Uh, we jump back and forth. So they switch from eight years old to mid-20s, then back to early teen years again. Um, So they're constantly having to sort of switch gears and and remember, okay, what hurts now? How do I use my voice? What have I been through? What don't I know that I knew in the last scene anymore? Uh, So it's been fun to watch the actors really explore that funky timeline and figure out how their characters change and grow over the years. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Communications and Marketing Office, and we're talking to theater professor Todd Quick. Todd is director of the play Gruesome Playground Injuries, which will be presented February 25th through the 28th at the college's Fusion Theater. Gruesome Playground Injuries was first produced in 2011. The upcoming production at Monmouth will be the first time anyone at the college has been involved with the play, which Todd says presents a lot of wonderful opportunities for the student actors and the audience. The fact that everyone working on this production is is new to the script gives us uh, a lot of exciting room to explore. Nobody's coming into the production with uh, a preconceived notion about what the play is or isn't, which is a a rare thing to have a group of theater artists where no one has been in the show before, no one's worked on it, no one's seen the play produced before. Uh, So we're all coming in really fresh. And what that allows us to do is really focus on 
the script, right? We're not trying to shake a different image of the production. We're not trying to differentiate our production from anything else because we have a pretty clean slate, a fresh canvas. So we're really focusing on what's in the play, what's in the writing, what is Rajiv Joseph trying to communicate scene by scene, and how can we you know, honor the text and and bring it out in a faithful way, right? It's really just trying to bring this, you know, really beautifully crafted play to life. And we don't always understand right away what he's looking for, right? Um, one of the things that's interesting about his writing, he says right in the in the notes at the beginning of the play that the actors never leave the stage. So even as they're moving from scene to scene, costume changes happen in full view of the audience. The actors move the scenery, right? So that's not something that I would necessarily originally have, you know, tried using. But because we decided we're going to honor what the playwright is requesting here and the actors never go off stage and you watch them do the costume changes, you watch them apply the different injuries and, and wounds that they acquire over the years. It's really remarkable. And then what we've discovered is that that transition is actually just as interesting to watch as some of the scenes, right? Watching them undergo that physical transformation, watching the actors mentally move from age to age is really delightful to see. Attending the theater during February is one of the great ways to fight the winter blues. During a pandemic, live theater is even more welcome. It's a rare opportunity during a global pandemic to still see live theater. Uh, And they should see this play because there are options for them to see it in multiple ways. You can come down to the Fusion Theater and see live theater in person right now, which is really exciting. Uh, We're, you know, operating at reduced capacity uh, so that everyone is safely socially distanced while they're in the venue so people can see live theater and have that communal event that we've all been missing during the pandemic. But for those people who aren't right here in in Monmouth or who uh, don't feel comfortable attending theater in person right now, we will be uh, streaming the performance. Uh, So with both casts, so depending on which cast you'd like to see, there will be multiple options to see uh, a recorded version of the show as well. That's theater professor Todd Quick. He's the director of Gruesome Playground Injuries, which will be performed February 25 through the 28th at the Fusion Theater. You can see it in person at the Fusion in a very safe environment, and you can also see it online. Either way, to buy a ticket, point your browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash theater, and that's theater spelled R-E. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. One of the more popular courses at Monmouth is a class taught on the culture of comic books. The course is taught by communications instructor Chris Goebel. Chris's class is so popular with students that it's usually among the first to fill up. 
and develop a rather lengthy waiting list. But on February 23, you can discover why the course is so popular when Chris speaks on examining comics, truth, justice, and the American way. The lecture will be hosted on Zoom. It's free and open to the public. To find the Zoom link, go to the news story about the event in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu slash news. Chris says that the idea for the talk came out of a discussion that he had with Anne Giffey. She works in the college's Hughes Library. Chris and Anne are collaborating on a display of comics in the Hughes Library. It also explores the same themes in Chris's upcoming talk. What hit me was Superman's sort of classic mantra, the truth, justice, and the American way. And more I thought about it was, hey, we could take the exhibit and talk about how comics examine what is true about society, how comics try to bring up, whether it be social justice or just general kind of like justice issues and talking about things and how they try to affect things um, in society. And then also American Way was, you know, how have comics tried to show or been a part of pop culture or, or been ingrained in pop culture a little bit more? And then that sort of gave the structure. And then I started to look at what I had as far as artifacts and things I knew that would fit into that. Um, and we came up with um, this panel idea, like a comic would be separated into panels. And those cases are these nice little squares. So we came up with basically a two issue for each um, case um, of this examining comics comic about truth, justice in the American way. As Chris points out, comics have often been tied to social movements in the United States. And one particular um, issue of Wonder Woman that I had that's literally called the women's lib issue, where uh, this is a point in time when Wonder Woman had been stripped of her powers and she basically was like a 60s cat suit uh, super spy, which got a lot of flack from uh, the women's liberation movement and Gloria Steinem who loved Wonder Woman um, and uh, even petitioned and just became a pest for DC to give Wonder Woman back her powers um, and pulled and, and got permission to use Wonder Woman on the very first cover of Ms. Magazine. Um, so it kind of looks at that and then looks into like the uh, comics in more recent years uh, trying to reflect diverse society um, and how society is much more diverse now uh, from both um, uh, cultural diversity, but then also trying to show some uh, different things with LGBT issues and things like that. And Chris says that violence and drugs have also been a popular theme throughout the history of comics. Traditionally, early comics were really violent. You know, up until the 50s, they were incredibly violent and showed all of this like reality of crime. And then in post-World War II, there was so much worry about juvenile delinquency. And you can see it in these like good but trash films, some good films, some trash films. Blackboard Jungle is a really good one. But then there's a lot of other ones like Cocaine Fiends and all these other ones that are kind of trash films. But they all were really concerned about juvenile delinquency and drug use. Um, there was this uh, congressional hearing on juvenile delinquency that... Um, brought up comics and, and everything and brought in a book written by a psychiatrist, Frederick Wortham. This book is called Seduction of the Innocent. Um, and it basically talks about how comics were just awful 
and they were promoting juvenile delinquency. So from that, the comic book industry instituted the Comics Code Authority, which basically banned a bunch of stuff. But one of them was any drug, uh, any sort of uh, showing of drugs at all. And that stayed into effect all through the 60s. And But then in the 60s, underground comics started to challenge the code and didn't even care about the code. And they were getting popularity. But really, the code didn't get a serious mainstream challenge until the 70s. You're listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. We're talking to communications instructor Chris Goebel, who will give a talk on February 23rd about comics. It's called Examining Comics, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Chris says that in the early 1970s, the federal government turned to the comics industry for help in getting out certain messages. That happened when the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare approached Marvel Comics legend Stan Lee to produce some comics with strong anti-drug messages. Um, And what was developed was uh, this three-issue arc in Spider-Man where the first part is, you know, Spider-Man finds this guy who's completely high, tries to jump off a building, thinks he can fly. He stops him, and it's it's basically Spider-Man, Peter Parker, trying to process this. All along, while his best friend and roommate Harry Osborn is becoming addicted and becoming a drug addict. Well, this um, book, this series of books, was never going to get approved by the Comics Code. So Stan and some of the other people at Marvel went to their publisher, who was a man named Martin Goodman at the time, um, and they got permission to publish it without the code seal. So these three issues of Spider-Man came out without the code approval, and they sold like crazy. Um, And they got all sorts of requests from schools and everywhere to get copies so that they could give them to kids. And then that was like the inciting incident of a number of other comics starting to do this. And then the Code Authority changed the rules and basically loosened everything um, and took a lot of the uh, drugs um, and narcotics addiction rules out. Um, And as long as you presented it as a bad habit, you still could talk about it. About three decades earlier, Superman had been used by an investigative journalist to fight racism in the South. Superman fought the... uh, Ku Klux Klan in the radio show in the 40s and what stemmed from uh, how this all happened from um, a journalist, activist and writer who uh, infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan and then his attempts, uh, he was in Georgia, um, his attempts to try to get the information out and basically getting stonewalled by officials because especially on the local level in Georgia, the officials were all in the Klan. Uh, but then getting stonewalled at the FBI and other sources that he decided to go to the media uh, first with a, a, a political columnist named Drew Pearson and then uh, being brought on as a consultant on the Superman radio show, feeding them uh, clan material that they wove into this story on the Superman radio kids show on the, on the, on the kids, the daily Superman show on the radio. That's Chris Goble. He teaches communication studies at Monmouth. And on February 23rd, he will give a talk via Zoom called Examining Comics, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. The talk is free and open to the public, and you can find the link about it in the news story in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu news. 
And that's going to be a 30 for this 20th edition of the Monmouth College 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy. Thank you.